welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Glenbart East, head baseball coach and founder of Pellin Performance Consulting, Joel Pellin. Coach Pellin has been the head baseball coach at Glenbart East in Illinois for the last 10 years and is the all-time winningest coach at the school. He played baseball at Central Michigan. He's a certified John Maxwell leadership trainer, PECI certified performance coach, and an AFPA nutritional coach. He's also a board member for the Illinois High School Baseball Coaches Association. Coach Pellin and I have interacted a few times on the speaking circuit. He's a phenomenal presenter and is speaking on the youth stage for the Chicago 22 convention. This episode has a ton of actionable information for coaches and educators, so get your pad and pen ready because Coach Pellin gives us a ton of resources and ideas to help. Let's welcome Joe Pellin to the podcast. Literally, if I can do all this stuff, like anybody can do it. This uh, right. you just have to dive. You just have to dive into it. Like I didn't know anything about podcasting or video editing. Like I did video breakdown with our players, but it wasn't. Not the yeah, it's not the same. But I, I guess it kind of prepared you to do this to where you at least have a little bit of aptitude. I, I just think, I think baseball, baseball forces you to to have aptitude to handle anything i just yeah, think no, I, there's a lot of it's lot just of crazy like how great it is at preparing you for anything um you know that how many guys you've been around that are really successful that maybe not even in sports but they're successful because they sucked it up and played baseball for a while yeah i mean there's just i mean we talk about it all the time right there's so much um challenge failure learning opportunities in baseball constantly, you know, especially at the plate. Um, but And on the mound. A, I mean, yeah, I say, you're going to get handed to you on the mound too. Like you might well, run through a stretch where you throw 12 balls in a row on the mound, like, and, and you got to try to find a way to get over the hump on that. Or you might have an outing where you throw your fastball right where you need to locate it yes. and it still gets hit out of the park. Yeah. Yep. You know? Like, well, that was yesterday. Yeah. I don't, you know, now that I'm not coaching, I'm able to watch more games. Um, and I always watch games anyway, but I watched the 
I watched the South Carolina and Florida game yesterday, and it's a great example of out of your control. The wind is flying out to right field, center field, 17 miles an hour. It was steady 17, so with gusts higher than that, Florida's lefty made yeah. some decent pitches, and they got it in the air, and they went out, and you could tell it bothered him, but then he settled down. Like, really good example of being being pissed right. about it, but you can't control it, and you could tell Sully was talking to him, and Sully was getting into him, which I thought was great. Like, dude, you can't control that. You're getting pissed about the, the wind right now. You have no control over that. You can't control that. Well, and and the, the nice thing about coaches, you know, the, the good ones like Sully, like yourself, is you know the players, right? Yeah. Because, like, there's some players that you can get into and you can rip them one yes. and that's going to push them to the next one. But there's some kids that if you do that to them, like, they legit might cry. Yes, and we've all you coached know? kids like, like that. You, that's the yeah. – I give you guys that's, so that's much a, credit now. Yeah. The guys that are coaching now in, in this environment with, with these parents, with these players, you have to be so creative – um, to help them, uh, because some of them come by it, honestly, man, like you just got to handle it the right way. Cause if you don't, yeah. then you lose them like you do. And I, I lost some kids, oh, you know, in 22 years, there were some kids, not a lot, but there were some kids that, that I lost because I probably didn't handle them the way they needed to be handled. Right. No, I, I, I think all coaches can say that. Yeah. Right. We, we all we've all had those those players that we couldn't qu quite reach or we handled the wrong way. And, you know, looking. But that's the cool part about being able to look back is, is seeing the development. Like yeah. I, I'm a totally different coach than what I was 10 years ago. And I hope to be a totally different coach than in, in five years than what I am now or even in the next year than what I am now. Yeah. So it's just the constant growth process and constant searching for wisdom and and just trying to get better uh, as best we can uh, every day. Yeah. Here with Joel Pelland, uh, head coach at Glenbard East High School in Chicagoland area. Last 10 years, all-time winningest coach at, at Glenbard, uh, played at Central Michigan, certified John Maxwell leadership trainer, PECI certified performance coach and AFPA nutritional coach, also the founder of Pelland Performance Consulting. We've interacted uh, multiple times on the circuit. Uh, you're a member of the IHSBCA. Um, so, again, thanks for jumping on with me, Joel. This has been set up for a while, but I'm excited about this because you and I are kindred spirits. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled, honored. All, all those different adjectives that you can use to describe it. The, the ABCA has been so instrumental uh, in my development, and I know uh, coaches around the country. And uh, I'm just glad to be a, a part of it. And uh, you know, part of other people's process and journey as, as they grow to get better. Yeah. Talk about your journey uh, up to this point. Like, how have you gotten to this point? Yeah. So it's, it's been quite a journey. So I, I started playing baseball at central Michigan. Uh, I had a great experience there. Um, you know, coaches, teammates, uh, was able to be a part of a Mac championship team in, in 05 and, um, Steve Jackson. Steve, yep. Coach Jackson. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I ended up suffering a, a shoulder injury, um, that was kind of lingering a little bit from, from high school, but, um, uh, didn't really show up again until my sophomore year of college. And I ended up tearing my labrum, my bicep tendon and my bursa sac in my shoulder. And, uh, you know, so after surgery, I, I rehabbed and tried coming back and, um, never, never really quite felt mentally ready to let it loose again. And so I, I decided to to come back home uh, to Chicagoland area, I actually went into firefighting for about a year and a half. I thought that was going to be my path. 
Um, but while I was doing the firefighter stuff as a paid on call firefighter, um, I was volunteer coaching at my old high school and just the way I was able to connect with some of those athletes, uh, on the, I coached football, basketball, and baseball early in my career. And just the way I was able to connect with those athletes and help them through different things that they were trying to process through and looking for advice and looking for a mentor and someone that they could lean on. Uh, I decided to go back and finish my education degree, uh, at, uh, Northern Illinois. And, uh, then I got hired back at my alma mater at Glenbard North. And then took the head baseball job uh, over at Glenbard East. Uh, very thankful for that school and for the district and, uh, you know, uh, in my career and, and where I'm at now. The shoulder was always the scarier of the two for me, coaching-wise. Um, elbow was like, okay, but shoulder was always the scarier one for me from a position or pitcher standpoint because there's so many small muscle groups in there that you just don't know if somebody's going to – it's not a given on the shoulder that somebody comes back from that. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, no. It, it, and, and I probably could have come back, but like I said earlier, like the, the mental side of, of, of injury recovery is very real. And back in 2000, you know, four, 2005, I mean, sports psych was around, but it wasn't as integrated in the sport as it is now. And, and, and my coaches did, you know, as best of job as they could at that time, you know, to try to help me through it. But uh, unfortunately, you know, it just wasn't enough, but but, you know, you talk a lot about your fail forward moments. And so I'm sorry if I'm beating you to the punch, but that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm going is, you know, I really thought that that injury was going to be, you know, a really bad part of my, my life, right? Because baseball had been a part of my life for so long. But um, God's really blessed that, uh, quote unquote, tragic part of my life and really reaped a lot of fruit from it uh, down the road here. So. No, that's good. I mean, I, I was going to add, but that's good that we got, this is the first time ever that we got to it on the front end. So that's, <laughs> that's phenomenal. You know, had anybody talked to you about coaching before you, you dove into it? I mean, I know you thought about maybe being a firefighter, but had anybody said, Hey man, you might end up being a pretty good coach. Um, you know, I, no one really had a direct conversation with me about it. Uh, I was just blessed to have uh, good relationships with previous coaches that when I was, when my sport career was over, right? Cause a lot of athletes, you know, their identity lies in their, their themselves as an athlete, you know? Um, and uh, when you lose that, some athletes go through it pretty bad. I, I, I didn't go through any, I know some athletes who have gone through some depressive states when their career is over, but um, I was just missing it, you know? So I figured how can I still be a part of that athletic coaching culture, the athlete culture and coaching was the, the avenue that I wanted to try to get into. And so I was a volunteer for a long time. Uh, my, you know, old football coach, you know, let me come on as a lower level, you know, positions coach and same thing with the basketball program and the baseball program. And, um, just kind of, uh, yeah, you grew from there. For anybody that hasn't listened to Kellen Lee's podcast with me, he's a San Francisco Giants mental skills coach. He did his dissertation on uh, peak performance with injuries with athletes about using mental imagery. So that's a good episode to listen to. Into. And I, I was very honest. I, it was something I thought I didn't do a very good job with as a coach dealing with, with athletes that had injuries because I didn't really deal with it a lot as a player. So I tried to be upfront with them like, Hey, I'm not good at this because I didn't really have yeah. to deal with it. So you got to come to me on this if you're having problems. And I don't want you to feel like you're out on an Island because you're not, but from a personal standpoint, I, I, I empathize with you, 
but I'm having a hard time relating because I never had anything that kept me out of playing. Yeah. And I would second your plug for that, for that episode. It was a, it was a really well done episode. If any coaches haven't listened to that, I would, I would also second that, that notion to go back and listen to that episode for sure. You know, that I, I always try to bring from that coaching perspective of things that I, w- I wasn't good at and um, just trying to help pay it forward with that. What is the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, so I, I can't pinpoint an exact, you know, conversation, but I can, I can pinpoint different examples that I've seen in other coaches that I was like, man, I really want to try to emulate that or, man, I really don't want to emulate that. Um, and I think what it boils down to is the coaches that I saw build really good relationships with their athletes tended to have more success, uh, not only on the field, but you saw their players kind of flourish outside of, of the athletic arena as well. Um, so if I was giving advice and I think I've heard it on your podcast and multiple podcasts, it's, it's really, it's all about relationships and, and building, uh, that trust and being vulnerable around, uh, athletes and let, cause I think a lot of times we used to, at least I always looked at my coaches as like these people that were way above me and untouchable and like, just, you know, and, and then as I'm in the coaching world myself now, and as I've gotten to know those coaches, it's like, man, they, they're just like me. Like they're, they're just like, I'm, I'm really not much different than my athletes just age wise. You know, I'm still dealing with issues, still got stress, still got anxiety, still trying to, you know, figure out life. And, uh, you know, I think you know, if we can get to the same page and, and kind of get to a similar level, um, you know, I think athletes really connect with that. What's the worst advice? Oh, geez. Um, worst advice. I've been, like I said, I've been pretty, pretty blessed with the coaches that I've been around. Um, but it kind of goes into what you said. You learn what not yeah. to do by, by yeah. example, there's good I, examples out there. And then, then there's negative examples out yeah, there. Maybe think, what not to do. One of the negative examples that I saw is really, um, all right. You know, yeah. C- caring about winning as the bottom line, you know, that, that was one of the things that I've seen in some coaches. And honestly, that's kind of where I started at. Uh, was was the was the result uh, of of the game uh, or the result of a play, and uh, you know I think I think that was one of the worst things that I've I've been able to correct in my career was being able to transition from that result oriented thinking to more relational um, and transformational relationships rather than the, the transactional relationship. What can you do for me? It it's, it goes to what can I do for you. What was your inspiration to get all of your certifications? I mean, you have an impressive, that's an impressive list. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, man, um, I I think I was so dialed into maybe the coaching piece that I I wish I would have added maybe a little bit more here and there as I was going. So I'm really impressed by the amount of certifications that you have. Thanks. No. So it, it was just a quest to just, how can I better help my athletes? Um, you know, when I was an assistant coach, um, you know, I think it, if if you haven't at least opened up the original heads of baseball, I, I, I there's something going on where I don't know if you're living under a rock or something like that as a baseball coach. But I think we've I think almost everybody in this community has been been touched by that piece of literature, and it definitely impacted me 
um, as an assistant coach, searching to try to find ways to help my athletes better. And so it was through that book uh, with, with Tom Hansen and, and Ken Revisa um, that I really started diving into the mental game and being like, man, this is a huge piece. And, and not that it was uh, neglected. It just wasn't, it wasn't in the forefront of, of, of coaches in, in, in my time. And so I was like, I got to bring this stuff to my athletes. And um, so I started diving into the mental game more. And, and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a leadership podcast by Craig Groeschel, and he also does the, the Global Leadership Summit. Um, and there was, a, uh, I was attending the summit one time, and he was talking about bending the curve. Like, how can you how can you use things, you know, without having to spend all this money, how can you, you know, cause I've thought about going back, you know, for my masters and, you know um, you know, the CMPC certification, which I, I, it's still a goal of mine to do, but, you know, I'm just in a different life stage than a lot of people, you know, um, you know, got five kids, you know, family job, you know, it's, it's hard for me to break away and, and do those types of things. So I, I started. That's why I search. never judge because yeah. you, you never know where somebody's at in their personal yeah. life. Family situation means a lot. I never judge anybody on where they're at with anything because you just yeah. never know where they're at because if you stayed single forever, you could probably do whatever you wanted, but <laughs> yeah, life, life throws a lot on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it was in my quest to help athletes, um, you know, really perform the best they can. So when I talk about performance, I, I pretty much break it down into six pillars. So the three pillars, most coaches cover very well all the time and it's skill acquisition, sport IQ or game feel, and then the strength and conditioning part of things. And then the other three pillars that I, I really started to focus on with my athletes is the mental skills part, leadership, and then lifestyle. Um, and you know, how, how all those, how all six of those things combine for performance, but really, and it's not any coach's fault. I mean, we're all limited based on time, right? That's a lot to fill, um, you know, in, in, in a, in a certain time segment, you know, we don't have unlimited amount of time with our athletes. So we focus on what we feel we need to focus on the most. And it's, it's, you know, every coach knows their program more than anybody else. Um, but those latter three were just areas that I felt that I could be better at for my, for my athletes. Of those, so say a coach out there doesn't have anything, young coach especially, where's the first place do you feel like they should dive in if they're trying to add something else? Um, I think, I think mental skills is where I would start, um, and, and I'm I'm really happy to see kind of how that um, community is growing, uh, and and you know you've had some great guests on uh, between Hannah uh, Hoosman and Laura John Lauren Johnson and. We have you know, so many good they, ones out there. So good. Those, those ladies are, are top notch. And, um, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's exciting to see where that side of things is going for, for the benefit of athletes. Um, and uh, it, it's also fairly easy to start incorporating some of the things. Like some of the things are super difficult to put in, but there's some that you can, you can plug in. Um, without too much like concentration grids or just the breathing and the mindfulness, you know, um, I, I've, I've started doing mindfulness with my team and my program the last two years. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's really changed, you know, well, you can add those into it. your practice plan. Like we, yeah. especially for the Northern coaches, yeah. we, we had a station for concentrate uh, concentration grids during practice. Like you can mix it in, to your practice plan 
And that's something there that you can always have kind of in your back pocket that, okay, if we have a day where we're stuck inside, we could do concentration grids for five minutes because there's some competitiveness to that concentration grid. Also, like you're, you're running against the clock. Yeah. And so, yeah, like from a, from a competing against others, you're competing against yourself. Yourself. Yeah. I, I would use it. This is where, before I introduced it with, um, with the players, Roy Holiday, uh, he said that changed his career was the concentration grids. And he got that from, uh, I, I don't think it was Kane, but Dorfman introduced it to him, who wrote the mental aspects of baseball. Yeah, um, and so that, that's where I always tried to bring examples of a professional athlete that was using these skills mm-hmm. before I implemented it with the team mm-hmm. because it, it got way more credibility if Roy Holiday did this rather than if, if I was doing it or I was using it. So I always tried to, whether it was a video review session or anything that we were implementing with the team Mm -hmm. that was maybe out there a little bit that they maybe hadn't been introduced to before. I always had pro examples because they were going to lend more credence to that than coming from me. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Um, I, I, I did that. I've done that with a couple of things. I didn't do it with the concentration grids, but that's a great example. But with the concentration grids, I would always play music over the computer, sandlot clips, you know, just different things to try to distract them and slow them down. And, you know, you see guys starting to sing along to certain songs that you play. And so you start bringing that up because the mind can't be in two places at once. Like it's not possible. You can, you can jump back and forth, you know, fairly quickly but I think it's pretty, pretty uh, researched and, and substantiated that you, the mind can only be in the, in one place at a time. Multitasking is not a thing. Yeah. Um, so that I always brought that up. I, hey, I saw some of you guys singing along. You may have done okay, but, but you could have done better if you were able to push that out. Right. And, and just, just different areas that they could improve on. I love that you call it lifestyle. I always call it a habit. I think habit maybe turns some people off to it. I love that you call it lifestyle. And that's kind of how you and I got introduced to a couple years ago at the Illinois High School Convention is you were yeah. talking about lifestyle, and I love that. How are you implementing that with your players, especially at the high school level? You don't know what their home life is like. You know, yeah. it's easy to talk nutrition with guys, but you don't know what their home life is like. Uh, it's easy to talk ha- you know, sleep habits with kids, but... Again, they may have five brothers and sisters. It might not be the easiest thing for them to get a good night's sleep. How are you trying to implement that with your high school guys? Really uh, just educating as best I can, right? A lot of stuff's out of our control, uh, not only in baseball and coaching, but in life in general, right? And so, you know, I really, if so, and I want to credit to uh, Dr. John Underwood. Uh, He's got a human performance project. Um, and, and he was really influential in, in my journey to start researching lifestyle more as, as, a, as a performance factor um, with his work. Um, and uh, if, I was, if there was one thing a coach could implement or start educating kids on, it would be the power of sleep, in my opinion. I mean, nutrition is important, uh, and obviously abstaining from drugs and alcohol is super important, but, but sleep is, 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 is just like... I always, when I teach it to, to my athletes, I say, if I can give you a pill and I told you that this pill would make you play better, get stronger, you know, and it was completely natural, completely legal, like, would you take it? And majority of athletes are like, yeah, like, give it to me. And I'm like, well, that pill sleep, like it comes in the form of sleep, you know, and, uh, you know, as we get older, right, we, you know, we find different sleep patterns that work for us. But uh, what a lot of research shows is that is for 
athletes between the ages of like 14 and 25 is that nine hours and 15 minutes is kind of like that sweet spot where you get those full REM cycles, you get all the, the hormones pumping in your sleep, your body recovers better. Um, and it's, it's uninterrupted sleep, right? That's, that's what you're looking for. Um, it's the glymphatic system. Yeah. That's what cleans your brain while you're sleeping. Um, yeah. I've dove into so much more. I had a behavior modification class as an undergrad that I track sleep habits, but now as I've gotten older, you know, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. I, I wish I would have valued sleep a little bit more, um, as a player, not that it, it, it hurt me. I think I made sacrifices when I needed to, but right. that would have been the one thing I would have tried to set a, a, a better schedule because I did battle anxiety, stress. We all do it at that yeah. age from 18 to 25. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you touched on it too. The, the 23 to 28 year old range is hard on the ex athletes. I think those are some skills that, that help you alleviate some of the anxiety and stress that you're going to deal with on a daily basis. Cause if you, if you, if you're a human being, you're going to deal with stress and anxiety, you're going to. So, so right. how do you alleviate some of that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and again, the sleep part too is, I mean, there's, there's different research out there showing like that skill acquisition, actually the patterns are, are stored during your sleep, right? So if you, if you practice a certain skill, um, and you work on it and you start to master it, and then you go to bed that night, only get, you know, maybe four hours or five hours of maybe some interrupted sleep, um, you know, or maybe you went out, you know, partying and then now that's disrupting your sleep because they all, it all impacts each other. Um, and now you come back to the field the next day to, 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 you know, continue to smooth that swing on. You're like, man, I can't get this. Like I just worked on this for three hours yesterday. And, and now I'm, I feel like I'm back at square one. Well, part of that, I'm not saying all of it, but a part of that's going to be because you didn't allow your brain to really store those movement patterns into the right part of the brain because you didn't get the right amount of sleep. You weren't in REM long enough, you know, whatever that may come to. So, um, with sleep, I use a, I, like your example. I, I do a lot of the stuff uh, with like LeBron. You know, he's big on sleep. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning was when he was you know playing. So th there's a lot of examples how sleep and professional athletes really value that. You know, dark. You know, Tom Brady like his his you know room. He said is like a cave, like no light whatsoever. Um, so he can get the right amount of sleep that he needs. So yeah, Dr. Eric Corm, he was on with me. He's, he's a sleep doctor and he worked for the NFL for a long time. So he, he brought up some really good points on sleep because it, it is how you learn. Like you learn all those skills throughout the day, but then those markers get set in your brain. And, and the only way for it to sink in is, is through sleep. If yeah. not, you basically just ruin, you ruined a whole day of training. Yeah. Um, and this is why it's a great time. 2021 is a phenomenal time to be a coach, to be a player, because we know so much more about the mm -hmm. peak performance side of things right. that you really don't have any excuses now. Talent really is going to be the only thing that keeps you away from being as good as you want, but you can be the best possible version of yourself. If, if you really want to invest that time in yourself, you can be the best possible version of yourself now, much more than we've ever been able to. Yeah. And, and, and the lifestyle too, like we were talking about, like, and just being transparent with, with everybody listening, like that's, I, I contribute part of my injury to my poor lifestyle in college. You know, I, I was up late, you know, engaged in, you know, some, you know, extracurricular activities sure. that, yep. that impacted my recovery as a pitcher that impacted my ability to, you know, heal and, and regain and strengthen. And, you know, so that, that was, you know, one of the things that the lifestyle piece that really stuck out to me was when I was listening to 
Underwood talk at Dr. Underwood talk at a conference, I was like, holy crap, like he's talking to me, you know? And so that's, that, that, that's another part of my, my passion for, for getting out there to athletes is I, I want them to, you know, the learn from my, you know, inexpensive experience, inexpensive experience so that hopefully they can have healthier, longer and successful careers. So that's, that's, that's part of what drives me. I thought about this a while ago because just reading into, you know, and, and again, whatever you, you view on anything, but THC attaches to your fat glands and, and fat areas. So I was like, I think somebody should do a research on Tommy John and guys that smoke marijuana and mm. just see if there's a correlation um, between the two, just because of the way THC attaches to, yeah. to fat molecules. And again, it may be nothing, but that might be a, a, a thing that that's an easier you know, conversation to have with guys like, Hey, the research shows that if you do smoke, you're predisposed to getting injured. Um, yeah. you know, again, whatever lifestyle views you have, but I think those are some questions that, that maybe you can answer from a research standpoint that, okay, yeah. rather than coaches just telling me to do this, just to do it. There's some basis to why he's yeah. telling me to do this. And, and that's how, that's how I approach the lifestyle subject that, you know, we don't talk about not drinking, or, or, or sleeping as a way like, well, don't drink because it's bad for you or, you know, get lots of sleep because it's good for you. It's like we dive into like, here's what alcohol does to your body on a molecular level. And here's how it interrupts your sleep. And here's why sleep is so important. And then here's the cycle that you're going through. And then here's the injury rates for people who don't get enough sleep. And here's the injury rates for people who don't, you know, don't, who, who engage in, uh, you know, a lot of drinking and, and binge drinking and things like that. And, you know, so we, I approach it from more of like a, not don't do it because it's bad or because it's illegal, which it is, but here's how it's going to impact your performance. And like, it's your career. Not, I, yeah. I think with this is how you handle Gen Z's now is yeah. here's the info. This is ultimately your career. And so if you put the ball in their court where they have to start to take ownership, this is that's what the Gen Z's want. They want to buy into something bigger than themselves and they want to feel like they have ownership well, here's a way as a coach to introduce this, like, okay, you have ownership of this and how you handle yeah. it. And so ultimately the ball is in your court and it's your career and how you want to handle these things. Yeah. You want to play, you want to get drafted. Here's what can stop you. And here's how it can stop you. Right. If, if you want to, you know, be an all conference player, all, uh, you know, national player, you know, all American, like you, if you have those aspirations, like here's how this stuff can stop you from, from achieving the goals that you have uh, as a coach, I can't control you. Right. If I could, then then we would all have perfect lifestyles and we'd all we'd be great. But I can't, you know, so, it, it, you know, it, it comes from it's going to take some ownership right of your career and your and your, um, your lifestyle to really get to you where you want to get. And I'll help you get there. Right. I'm going to help you in any way that I can't get there. But um, I can't overcome these things. Right. So. Yeah. And that, that's a unique thing with Tom Brady, with LeBron, w with the greats of the greats is. Yes, they have enormous talent, but they've also invested so much time and resources into developing the talents that they have. And they have longevity. There's a reason that Tom Brady's still able to play is because of all the things that he's he's done away from the field. LeBron, same thing. Like it's hard to play yeah. in the NFL uh, for for one season in the NFL, for right. one season of the NBA to get a cup right. of coffee, but those guys have maintained 
uh, Russell Wilson, another great example of a guy that's invested into the mental mental side of it and also the the physical side of of getting better. Well, yeah, and that's and that's the other thing too that some athletes will come and say, you know, well, this person, you know, smokes weed and they're you know in the majors and and you know, so what's the big deal? And it's like you understand that to make it to a, as a professional athlete, you're the top 1% of all the athletes in your category just to just to make it there and then to be able to make it there with a poor lifestyle now you're talking you're like a one percent of the one percent right yeah there's guys out there that but think about how much better they could have been if their lifestyle was cleaner and some of the guys don't care right some you know some of the guys they they, they were great and and they were able to be great with you know not not a great lifestyle and then you know that's 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 them you know but for the majority of people trying to make it you know, you've got to, you've got to clean it up. If you want to make it the, the amount of athletes that can do it unclean uh, with an unclean lifestyle is just, it's, it's incredible actually that they're able to do that. And let's go 10 years from now. Okay. Let's go outside of, of the sporting arena. Let's look at where they're at 10 years from now when they're done playing. A lot of right. those guys are broke. Tom Brady, huge corporation, LeBron James, huge corporation. Those right. guys, when they're done playing, by the way, that probably yeah. adds to them ha- being able to relax a little bit and just go out and play because they know they don't need to play right now. Right. Those guys right. have successful businesses away from the sporting arena that they could have live off right now besides playing. So yeah. probably a little easier to go out there and perform because you're not worried about the other financial piece of it where somebody that hasn't done a good job with their money, with their lifestyle – probably doesn't have a whole lot in the bank. So it's life or death for them because they got to keep bringing a paycheck in. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Lots so, of that. How are you streamlining all this with your teams? Okay. You have so much great information. Are you using classroom session? What, what are some of the apps maybe that you're using to get disseminate this information among your teams? Yeah. So a lot of it is classroom session. So we have, uh, you know, we, we, we prioritize the classroom. Uh, especially in the first couple weeks of our season, especially in the Midwest, right? We we don't get outside to practice, right? When you the, by the time we get outside, we're playing games, so we're in indoors for about two and a half weeks in the field house, or you know, in the in the football, you know, indoor football arena with the big colleges, and then the first time you get outside, you know, you're playing games, um, and so we 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 do a lot of classroom stuff, and we prioritize the classroom. Um, you know, we'll go, you know, 40 minute classroom sessions before practice, um, you know, just, uh, you know, daily and we'll cover, you know, team culture standards, we'll cover leadership stuff, we'll cover mental skill stuff. We also do some classroom stuff in the off season. And now this past off season has been different because of, because of COVID and everything, but um, you know, we'll, we'll go, you know, two times a month, you know, in the off season, in the morning before school, we'll do, you know, some leadership stuff because one of the things that I've moved away from is, is team captains. Um, and, and, and I, we just count, I count on my seniors to be leaders. I count on my juniors to be leaders. You know, I, I count them to be problems, uh, you know, solvers, not problem creators. And, you know, so really it's, it's really done a lot of, you know, empowering our players to all be leaders because, you know, a lot of times the, the captain voting, you know, goes to the guy who's most talented, but he may not be the best leader, you know, a guy who's most popular may not be the, you know, or he's a starter. And, and you have some, some non-starters that are great leaders that don't feel empowered because they're not dubbed captains. 
And so we've kind of shifted to this format and I felt that I feel like it's gone, done really well for us uh, in empowering, you know, the whole team to lead and take responsibility as a leader, um, you know, at, in that, in that form, you know, it really empowers them. Yeah. We, I would explain it, you know, you have to control yourself first. Like it starts with self-management. Like if you can't manage mm -hmm. yourself first, like you can't manage anybody else. So it starts with you. We use leadership council. So we actually, after the fall, we would let they, it was one person from each class. And okay. honestly, we talked about that though. Hey, this isn't a popularity contest. You guys are around each other a lot more. You know who's going to add value to this thing in your class because we was like, hey, this is self-management first. Then manage your own class, like your class of freshmen or sophomores or juniors or seniors. Manage each other and yeah. then manage the team itself. Yeah. Um, I felt like it, it added some value, even though they weren't technically captains. It, it streamlined a little bit of communication with the team. Um because you don't have time to meet with everybody all the time. And, and right. so that weekly meeting I would have with those four or five guys, um, it helped. And honestly, I knew they were getting it right because we, I, Tyler Stewart at Western Illinois never saw the field. He was our bullpen catcher and was in the nursing school and was a phenomenal person. He was on our leadership council. Yeah. And I was like, hey, yeah. they, I was like, they've got it figured out because this guy's never going to see the field, but he's our hardest worker in the weight room. He's hardest worker in the classroom. And, yeah. and he's a great teammate. I'm like, that's a guy that should be on the leadership council. Without me saying it, they got it right. And um, yeah. and he's phenomenal. He's still he's a phenomenal person. Yeah. No, it, it, it's leadership is so important uh, to, to athletes' performance, but also team performance. And how are you bringing leadership? I mean, everybody uses the yeah. term. What what when you're introducing leadership, what are you showing them as examples of leadership? So, I, I first start with talking about what leadership is, right? Because like you said, we oftentimes use, you know- It's and, like and, culture, and leadership and right. culture. Like everybody throws those yeah. terms around, yeah. but you have to define it. So like, how yes. are you defining leadership? So I define leadership as influence, right? And since everybody can have influence, everyone can be a leader. And-, and Negative so or talk, positive. Correct, yeah, yeah, correct. And so we, we, we talk about what is influence and what, is, what does that mean to you? And how can we, you know, make sure that we're, you know, growing and forward, right? That we're building, you know, the team up and, and that we're not, you know, bringing things backwards because I found myself as a coach um, a couple of times when I, we didn't have a season that we should have, I would just kind of default to, well, bad senior leaders, you know, like that's just kind of how, you know, yeah, that's, that's what it is, you know? And, and, and I was right, but, and then I would, I started looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, well, maybe they're not good leaders because I'm not teaching them how to be a leader because kids don't develop leadership skills um, naturally anymore. Like when we were kids, right? You go out, you play, you fight, you argue, you figure things out. And, and all that is leadership stuff. But, but uh, the youth uh, uh, and the majority uh, of, of youth don't get out and do that stuff anymore. There's no sandlot games. There's no pickup football games. There's no, you know, wiffle ball games in the backyard. And, you know, and, and that's where, a lot of leadership stuff and kind of a, a, a hierarchy uh, is is developed is off the field away from parents away from coaches and that doesn't really happen that much anymore hey are and you so, implementing any of that free play deal to it i mean are, are you allowing them to kind of be with each other without you around in, in certain aspects 
Oh, I, I, I encourage it. Um, yeah, I encourage as much as I can. We, we do a couple of like, we, we do a game and I don't know if you can find it online and I, it's too much to explain right now, but it's called speed cricket. And, and you, you, guys, you can try to find it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Uh, and I can send you something down the road uh, if I can, but the kids love it. It's high um, energy, high action. And sometimes there'll be a day where it's like, you know what, we're going to come in, we're going to work for about 40 minutes on some, you know, personal things. And then we're just going to play. Right. Cause we have to, sometimes as coaches, we have to give them that opportunity to play. Um, there, and there's another uh, game that I, uh, I, I bought for my, my son and myself to play, but uh, I, I incorporated it with some of my players uh, in the last week and they loved it. Um, and I don't have any stake in the company, so I've not, you know, but it's, it's called, it, the game's called Vitia. And it's the Dominican Spell it. street game. Spell um, it for me. I think it's, <laughs> that's asking a lot. Um, I think it's like V I T I L L A. I think, but it's, it's, it's pronounced Vitia and it's a Dominican street game. Um, and there's a company called Betia uh, out of Boca Raton, Florida that replicates this game. And uh, it, because in the Dominican, they play with the, the, the five gallon water jug caps and they set up a strike zone, they use a broomstick and it's a street game. So like you can make your own rules up. You can play with two people, uh, pitcher, pitcher against hitter, and then you can switch spots. And, you know, there's, there's no walks, there's no hit by pitches and there's a strike zone set up. So there's no arguing if the, if the cap hits the strike zone, it's, it's a strike. And, and that's the end of it. And um, you make up rules and you can play on the blacktop. You play on the street. It's kind of weather separate. You know, you don't need a field or dirt. Um, and, uh, the kids just loved it. And so it's something that I, I want to incorporate with my teams down the road, just because of that free play aspect. And for the fact that if it's good enough for the Dominican players who have all grown up playing it, it's gotta be good enough for everybody else. Cause those guys are incredible, you know? So, um, I had a call with a, a group of youth coaches the other day and, you know they're they're not at co- at kid pitch yet, but they're in a year they are. And I was like, hey, get wiffle balls, let get out of the way, let them pitch to each other, let them hit, just show them the drill, and then get out of the way. And I'm like, trust me, just tell me, call me after practice and let me know. And they were like, it was amazing. I'm like, yeah, those 10, 15 minutes, that's going to be some of the most fun they've ever had because. They're not getting coached. They're trying to figure it out. They're they're trying to just throw the ball in the zone so the guy can hit it. And Competing. just especially yeah. for the young kids, like whatever, don't overcomplicate whatever. this. Let them be natural with what they're doing. And now the creativity piece, you know, I, I use the the documentary um, you know, in search of greatness a lot with Pele and, and Wayne Gretzky and okay. Jerry Rice and talking amount of the amount of time they had free play with just themselves. If you can yeah. introduce that, because you said it, kids don't have a lot of that now anymore. If you can just introduce a taste of that to them because they've never experienced it, they will now gravitate to more free play because they figure out how much fun they're having doing it. There's a huge body of research on free play and, and development and, and uh, professional athletes that have, have, you know, done that their whole lives, especially in soccer or, uh, you know, football, uh, as the world calls it, you know, in America, we call it soccer, but, um, it's, it's whenever I run a kids, like a youth camp, 
typically the camp goes for about an hour. We do a half hour of like the fundamental stuff. And then we just play for the last half hour, you know, and it just, because you want, you want the end of your sessions to want to bring them back to practice the next day. You know, you want them to want to come back. Um, and if you, if you just drill the kids into the ground, you know, they don't want to come back. And plus we're the, the biggest battle baseball fights, Ryan, you and I both know it is boredom, right? It's boredom. So we got to try to make things exciting and fun. And that's where soccer has started to overcome baseball in America is because they're, they're all playing around around the whole time. It's fun for them, you know, in baseball and modified you know, fields too, by the way, and modified uh, yeah, games, modified, modified you know, games, you score a lot of goals. If you're, if you're playing one-on-one or two-on-two in soccer, you're going to score a ton of goals and it's fun to score. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to try to, um, I think as a whole, really try to look at how we can be more creative with the game of baseball to keep the youth kids engaged like I get a pit in my stomach when I drive by a youth field and I see a coach throwing batting practice and everyone else standing watching the hitter, you know, cause it's, it's, you're going to lose probably half those kids by the time they're eight, you know, and it's just, it's, it's one of those things where we really got to, you know, get creative, get out of our own way, let the kids have fun, you know, create those short-sighted games, you know, play, you know, different short fields and short-sided short fields. Yeah. See how many home runs you can hit shorten yeah, the field exactly. up. Rag yeah. balls are great for the young kids cause they fly. So shorten yeah. the field up, let them hit a ton of bombs. Uh, just have fun with it. Um, yeah. yeah, well, there's that social comparison too, with the young kids. It, it is a high, it's a high skill to try to hit a, a moving ball with a bat. So you're going to swing and miss a lot. And so that, their natural reaction if they swing and miss a lot is going to be that they're not good. Right. Um, where you just haven't had a ton of reps yet, so you just got to keep doing it. But that's where you got to try to add some fun in where they do want to come back the next day. Yeah, you use a bigger ball. Yes. You know, they make those eclipse balls, or you can use those balls you can find at Walmart for like four bucks, those, the, you know, the big playground balls. You know, not the hard rubber ones, not the kickballs, but, you know, and, and hit those around. Those things will fly and they'll go high and the kids will have a blast. They don't need their gloves. Higher rate of catching the ball, higher rate of stopping it, you know, without getting hurt. And without and, a glove on, catch with two hands. Like, it reinforces yeah. good yeah. skills with, with some catch yeah. with two hands. Uh, it just reinforces a lot of good stuff. Hey, you talked yeah. about the classroom now. How are you getting information out? Like I asked tech-wise or app-wise, how are you getting information out to your team from an app standpoint? Uh, The app that I probably use the most with my team and my program is the Remind app. It's a way that I can reach all the players. Uh, Their parents are able to sign up for it too. So it kind of bridges that parent communication, you know, too. So they know what I'm sending to to their son and, you know, so they they can get it. So that's what I use the most. I don't really use too many apps for mental skills development or sleep or lifestyle stuff or, or leadership. Most of that stuff is done in person. Um, but as far as communication wise, I use the remind app. It, it hey, and that's a great good. point for coaches out there because parents, I think if you just show a little bit that you're allowing them to be involved, you're going to get a lot more buy-in from parents also. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll send out like motivational quotes. Sometimes I'll send out a little link for a YouTube video and, and it also allows the parents, you know, to kind of get a glimpse of the culture that you're trying to create. Cause you know, culture is, uh, you know, like you said, it's one of those buzzwords uh, that's thrown around, but culture is not an overnight thing. Like culture is a daily thing. I, I, I compare culture to, to a garden, right? If, if you're not out there taking care of the garden, weeding it, watering it, making, you know, making sure it's getting the right sunlight and, you know, maintaining it, it's going to come overgrown with weeds things are going to die. 
Um, and, and if you're not intentional with your culture, just like the garden, it's going to, it's going to, there, there's going to be a culture. It just might not be the one that you have envisioned for your program. So if you're not intentional with it, it's going to develop on its own, you know, so you've got to be intentional daily, uh, with the culture of the program. Any other ways you're using parents as advocates for the program? Um, typically my booster rep, uh, you know, is, is a parent in, in the program, um, you know, I try to connect with the kids and the parents and the, in the local travel organizations as well, um, just to make sure that, you know, one that I, I am, you know, authentically interested in, in what's going on, but also that the parents know that, you know, I'm interested in their son just outside of my program and, um, uh, you know, as a person, right, that's part of that relational thing is I don't, I'm not just, I don't just care about you as an athlete, like I care about you as, you know, a son, a student, a brother, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, a member of the community. And so I just, I'll go to travel games as much as I can, uh, you know, with my, again, my family situation is quite hectic. Um, so, um, but I'll get out there, I'll talk with parents, you know, um, and just, you know, stay, keep your face around a little bit. Yeah. What are you using for video wise, uh, team practice games? What are you using video wise? Um, so I, we use video more from the coaching standpoint of things uh, at the high school level. Sometimes I think it's paralysis by analysis with them. Um, so we'll, we'll use, we'll use uh, uh, video more for coaches to try to find out how we can better coach that player individually. Um, not so much for the player to analyze themselves. Um, I think when you get to the college and the professional level, they have a better understanding of what they're looking at, what they're trying to do. But I don't feel that the, uh, most most high school players aren't able to do that. Uh, and then they start, you know, and like we said, mine can't be in two places at once. So if they're in a game and they're thinking about, you know, how they're slotting or, you know, extending through, you know, the zone, man, they're just going to, they're just, gonna I just watched good at bats. That's all I did. Yeah. We were lucky enough yeah. to have our high school games on TV in Evansville. And then I would grab my mom's VHS camcorder from school and I would video myself. I literally, from high school to college to Indy, I just wanted to watch my good at bats. I think I was a little bit more like Ricky Henderson that way that if I had a bad at bat, I did not want to see it. I didn't want it getting anywhere near my brain. Right. I just wanted to watch my good my good stuff. Yeah, and the angles too uh, of, of the camera. So like, we don't do this at our level, but I know that some have where like, from for a hitter standpoint, taking the, the behind the umpire view, because that way you can't really see the mechanical things, but you can see how your approach was in that at bat and how you could improve that for the next one. And timing. Um, and timing. Yeah. In season, <laughs> in season, it was a majority of behind the umpire view just to watch yeah. timing and approach if we were getting yeah. good pitches to hit. And I would tell players that I'm like, hey, we're going to watch this first. If you're swinging at good pitches and your yeah. timing is good and you're not getting results, you're not hitting the ball hard, then maybe we'll we'll look to the right. side. But if we can if if it's a no for both of those that you swung at bad pitches and your timing's not good, we're not going anywhere else until those two right. things get get squared away. I was yeah, we're, like you said, like I was I was just, I was going to say exactly that. The only thing I would add is a third one is were you mentally ready for the at bat? Right. Were, did you have some other stresses that were going on in your life that day? Did you have your girlfriend get in a fight or, you know, you fail a test or, 
you know, were you caught up? Were, you know, were your, were your, was your breathing under control? You know, because all those things come into play too. So that's, that's, yeah, that's the direction I go to. And then with the pitchers, we'll video from behind them. Again, it takes a lot of the analytical stuff away from their mind and allows them just to see action on the pitch, right? My two seems not moving the way I want it to. All right, what can I do to do that? And that's, that's one of the areas I always am trying to get better at is asking better questions. Um, yeah, for the, the pitchers, discovery is important. We watch timing also. So if the handbrake timing was good and the ball was in a good position when their front foot landed, again, we didn't really discuss a whole lot after that. If if those two things weren't good, if their handbrake timing was off and the ball right. wasn't in a great position when the front foot landed, yeah. we didn't really go anywhere else with with anything because those are going to affect everything else. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. With your lower level teams, how much are they interacting with the varsity? Um, so we practice our JV and varsity together uh, with the current structure that we had. That structure has changed. So before it used to be varsity, JV, and sophomores would all practice together, uh, and then our freshman level would practice um, on the you know by themselves. Um, and then we would do different things, you know, as a team, uh, as a program, um, with. You know, we have like a senior talk day where the seniors would talk to the freshmen about, you know, here's what it is, means to be a player in our program. Here's, you know, how, X, here's what we do here. Here's why we do it. And now it's coming from the players, not from the coaches. Um, and so I, I think that's also, you know, uh, an important aspect of things is, is letting the, the players take ownership of the program and, you know, kind of leave their legacy to the lower uh, levels and, uh, you know, those guys, you know, those freshmen, I remember being a freshman and, and those seniors were so old, you know, like when I was you know, so big, you know, so much, you know, you looked up to them, you know, and I remember being in middle school and seeing high school kids. It's like, man, that's like almost as getting close to a professional athlete and, you know, in a middle schooler's brain or junior high kids brain. And, you know, so I think also educating your, your seniors and juniors on the, on the impact and the influence they have over kids is important too. I got lucky, man. And you think about like things now that are so different. I rode home from practice my freshman year with Jonathan Wiggins, who was a senior in Memorial's program, who was a great pitcher who went to Eastern Kentucky to pitch that I had watched playing on my brother's team. They won a state championship when he was a senior and Jonathan pitched on that team. So yeah. I'm like, I'm in the car on the ride home with him, not with my parents. He's talking about senior things, but just all the things that you pick up and it doesn't make it as big. The more you can get them around some of the older guys, I don't think it makes it as big for them because same thing, they see the human side of of people and it allows you to grow up a little bit and it adds some team camaraderie stuff, but yeah, that never that happens for kids anymore because I think some of it's that trust. Like, okay, yeah. my parents had to trust that a, an 18-year-old was gonna get me home after practice. Yeah, so, and we've also transitioned our summer program uh, to more of like a two or three week team program uh, camp where we'll, you know, we'll do some drill work, but a lot of it will, you know, we'll, we try to emulate like the college fall, you know, so we do an inter squad world series uh, and we split the whole program up. So it's, it's sophomores, juniors, and seniors all playing together. They have to create a lineup. They have to, it, and we run it like a showcase lineup. So it doesn't restart every day. You pick up where you left off, you know, the day before. So like, it just kind of continues to, to, to roll through. And, you know, so then and the, we have different rules in place. Like you have to have a new pitcher every inning because we don't want to, 
overload pitchers because we know they're all most of them are in travel. So you can only pitch one inning, uh, you know, a day. Uh, you have to have a new pitcher every inning. Um, the uh, you have a player can only sit out one inning at a time, you know, and everyone has to sit out before someone sits out again, you know, just to put those guidelines in. And then, and then, like we said, empowering the seniors, like they run their team. I'm just there to unlock the the cage. You know, sometimes depending on arms or the time of the week, we might, we might run a machine out there just so we don't have to have kids throwing pitches off the mound. Uh, and also so we can get more strikes thrown. Um, but yeah, we'll use a machine. Sometimes we'll roll it out there and, and uh, you know, I'll, I, I'm, and it's, 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 it's been great to see like how they've been able to connect with each other and grow and, and, um, and play together. Yeah. Now, same sign sequences for all your levels, same bunt coverages, same first and third defense. Yeah. Is it the same for every level? Yeah. I, I think yeah, I it's think great. It's important. Yeah. You got to have similar language throughout, you know, cause then it's almost like starting over when they come to you. If, if, if your different levels are using My high school coach did the same things. thing. It just, it, yeah. it was a streamless transition from freshman to JV to varsity because those things weren't new. So you weren't trying to le learn new things. You know, the, the Braves, back when Bobby Cox was the manager of the Braves, when they were really good in the 90s, they were one of the few minor league organizations that was doing that, that had the same sign sequences for everything at every level. So rookie ball up to the big league level, the Braves had the same for everybody. Well, and, and yeah, I, there was a coach. Uh, his name's Rich Benjamin. He's at Indiana Wesleyan now. Great guy, great coach. Uh, you know, been, a, been a, a big influence in my life, too. Um, he would always, uh, one of the things he said that he's like, when you start hearing the players using the language that the coaches are using, that's kind of a, a an auditory sign of where the culture's at, you know? So when, when you've got guys, you know, using phrases that the coaching staff's using, you know, that the culture's heading the right direction. How do you handle tryouts? Um, well, we, we don't, we haven't really had to cut many kids um, in our program. You know, um, we, we, we try to keep all the freshmen uh, out uh, in our district encourages that. And, you know, as far as no cuts for freshmen um, and then, you know, kids kind of start to remove themselves when, you know, because we have high expectations and we hold kids to high expectations and, you know, some of, you know, our program's not for everybody. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to continue to, to do that. Um, and if that's not what you want to do, then, you know, yeah, go, go ahead and find another sport to play. Um, you know, but tryouts typically are, you know, for the varsity, you know, two to three days and really, especially like we said in the Midwest, it's really just kind of getting our feet wet again, you know, cause some of, some of the kids, uh, you know, play travel and have travel stuff, but I also have a handful of kids that don't do travel. You know, so some of them haven't thrown a, you know, we, we try to do open gyms and stuff like that to try to, you know, get back into a, a rhythm, but it's really just trying to, you know, get a rhythm going for practice. We run our, we run our trials just like we run our practices, you know, and, and we, we evaluate from there. Are you guys going to be able to have a, a summer season? I know they talked about adjusting your guys' spring schedule, but I, you know, I hadn't heard lately. Are you guys going to be close to being on schedule for the baseball season in Illinois? Yeah, so in Illinois, they're going to start uh, – our season starts April 5th, so it starts next week, Monday. Um, How much – is that a couple weeks later than normal for you guys? It's about a month. Month, yep. month and a half – a month and a week, so like like six – five weeks. Um, and we're – right now we're on track to be able to do a, 
a state series uh, starting June 2nd. And so it'll run a little bit later than normal. We'll get our games will be cut down a, a little bit more than normal. Um, but I'm just happy that the kids get to get out there and, and compete and, and, be, and be together. Um, and I, I think that's something that a lot of coaches outside of Illinois don't know that you guys have a high school summer season also. And so how, how are you blending kind of the high school summer season with travel baseball with your guys? Yeah. So the, uh, you know, the Illinois high school baseball coach association, the board's made up of some, you know, some of the greatest guys they're, they're, they're so good. They care about the game. They, they love the game. They love their players. And, and I've been, uh, you know, really blessed to be a part of that team for, for a long time. Um, but as the travel ball becomes, you know, pretty, you know, overwhelming, you know, there's a lot of games, a lot of tournaments, a lot of practices, you know, we, we want to make sure we're balancing kids health with everything. And so, uh, we do have a summer season, but it's, it's, it's starting to kind of turn into like a summer tournament, like a summer state tournament where, you know, you can play, you know, games against other teams and then, you know, it'll culminate in a, in a state summer series that everyone can, can jump on with at the end of the summer season. Um, but it is, it is, it is tough, um, you know, with, with the travel baseball, but I understand the, the, the draw to it. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, kids health, you know, we want to make sure that our kids are healthy and, and throwing a kid on a Wednesday when he's got to go throw for his tournament team on a, on a Saturday and, you know, maybe in relief on Sunday, just, it's not, it's not the greatest for them to be doing that much. So we, we we're trying to take that into consideration. That was that June to July 4th, keep your fingers crossed with the guys that you were recruiting from Illinois, because you just hoped that everybody was on the same page because that, you know, it's changed a little bit, but back then you think about what was going on with the area code tryouts uh, perfect game national uh, outside yeah. of all the other stuff that was going on. You just kept your fingers crossed, but I also knew that, okay, because I'd seen this guy and how much he'd thrown, I was probably not going to see him at his best. So I had to go off of what I was seeing beforehand and then right. probably head back at the end of July after he'd gotten a little bit of a breather um, because we ended up getting some pretty good arms that I think some some maybe some one-shot schools would see a kid at the area code tryouts and didn't realize that he had thrown, you know, 60 or 70 pitches two days oh, earlier. Probably, probably wasn't yeah. going to look real good at the area code tryouts. Yeah, and oh, and that's that, that brings up another thought is, you know, it's important for us as coaches to make sure our kids are resting in the offseason. You know, uh, the injuries, you know, we know are up. But kids are going from spring ball to some to travel ball to a fall ball to winter, uh, you know, showcases. And when you talk to professional pitchers and professional, especially pitchers, you know, at the end of their season, they don't touch a ball for two months. You know, they'll get in the weight room. They'll do some recovery stuff. They'll do some band stuff, but they don't throw for like two months. They allow their body to recover from, you know, all the. I guess you can call it abuse, you know, that, that no, that it's it, just, it's taxing on the, it's taxing on the central nervous yeah. system. It is, it's, it, it's so, not it's, abuse. It's just, you're, you're adding a lot on your central nervous system. Stress, so you, stress, you have yeah. to, and, and they say, I love the statement. Like, it's not, there's no such thing as overwork. It's under recovering. Like, 
Yes. That that's the issue. It's the under recovery piece. It's not yeah. the overwork piece. It's yeah. the under recovery. Stress, stress is more of the word I was looking for than abuse. That, but <laughs> the, stress, the stress, the stress of the season that it puts on the arm. Being on the slope. It's the slope. It's it's, yeah. it's being on the slope of the mound is is the stress piece because you are seeing guys in the off season, the older guys. And again, these are professionals. They've they've figured out what works for them. You can look at a yeah. Trevor Bauer who's who's an outlier that throws a lot but it's taken him 28 30 years to figure out exactly what he needs to do to get himself ready you can't expect a 14 15 or 16 year old to do what those guys are doing because they're not ready physically they're not ready mentally I think a lot of it has to do with the mental piece too if you're going 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 playing 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 you never get a reset mentally either. Right. Well, and I think social media has a ton to do with it as well. Cause you know, you see kids posting videos from their fall ball league and like, well, I got to play fall ball. Cause if I don't post my videos and I won't get recruited. And then, you know, I want to take a rest and my arms kind of sore, but man, there's a, you know, a showcase going on this weekend and, and this kid, this kid, and this kid are going. And so in order to keep up, I got to go and I got to post my stats and I got to, you know, so they, they continue to push and you know, there's uh there's just got to make, there's got to be room and parents have to understand too, your kid needs to recover uh, from all there the has stress. to be a reset. There has to be a physical yeah. and a mental reset at some point. They're going to be, you know, you talk about that periodization of, of development. If you go, go, go all the time, you're going to plateau and, and probably mm-hmm. digress where if you can reset, you're going to probably stay where you're at and then once you get back going again, now you're going to take that next jump up and you have yeah. to have a reset. In that 12-month calendar, there has to be a reset of some sort, mentally, physically. They're yeah. going to be fresher. I think we've all, you know, as adults, you run into it. You're going, going, going all the time. You have to find a way to reset every once in a while because if not, then your work's going to struggle. You won't be as productive. You might think, yeah, I'm, I'm really getting after it because I'm working seven days a week, which is fine. But even if it's a, a 24-hour period to reset here and there, you have to give yourself that because if not, you're going to get run into the ground. Yeah, and it also goes back to the sleep and the lifestyle and stuff like that too, right? I mean, I you know read, read a lot about like and listened to a lot of podcasts about the Navy SEALs too, and, and they're even transitioning, right? They used to be like, you know, you can sleep when you're dead and we don't sleep, and, and now they're, they're, they're even changing their training, you know, to accommodate sleep patterns so that their soldiers can be – at the best they can be when, you know, their, their alarm goes off and they got to go, they got to get called out. From a development or fundamental standpoint, what do you wish uh, out of the youth coaches that you would see a little bit more? So maybe a freshman when he shows up on campus, um, some, maybe some things that you're having to teach, maybe that you haven't, didn't have to do 10 years ago that maybe you're having to go over a little bit more now. So I know this will probably cause, cause some, uh, you know, friction but it's communication it, it, it's, 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 it's opening bunting. up the lines of communication you know bunting would be the thing like you know I, I i understand the metrics of the the doubles and the home runs i i get it and i think there's a there's a time and place for that um you know especially at the major league level but we can't take major league numbers and, and metrics and apply them uh, to college, let alone high school, because the development's not there, the strength's not there, the fields aren't manicured the same, the level of talent isn't the same. You know, so the bunt 
is is a really you know in my in my opinion a useful weapon at the high school level and college and pro level it still has value Devin Morgan from Driveline who I love he and I can have very constructive arguments about this because I get where he comes from he's coming from okay I'm trying to develop the hitting piece but I'm like hey his high school coach is going to thank you if he has some at least aptitude to be able to bunt, that he understands the mechanics of it. Not that you even have to do it in games, but it, it helps yeah. develop some hand-eye coordination, some bat-to-ball skills. At least teach them the mechanics. Let them work on well, it in practice because it's going to probably help them get on the field a little bit more at the high school level because I was a good example of a guy that got on the field a lot because I could do all the other things besides hit. Yeah. Well, and, and Augie Garrido in his book, um, you know, just said that he would use the bunt often um, if a guy was struggling, you know, if a guy was slumping and, and it was a way for him to, again, get the, the eye, you know, the hand-eye coordination, the tracking down, but it was also a way for a struggling player to contribute to the success of a team, you know, and I just think there, there's, there's a lot of value in it, you know, at, at every level, maybe not as much as the pro level because the guys are, you know, six, five, 250 pounds. And, you know, they're able to have 120 mile an hour exit below. But when you got high school kids trying to do the same thing, it's like, I mean, a high number of, of, of home runs in a high school season is like eight, right? 10, like that, that's like lead, like that's all state numbers. Those are all state numbers in high school, you know? So to try to, to try to get every kid to, to have that, you know, it's, it's, they don't have the power, they don't have the strength. So it's going to lead to a lot of flyouts. It's going to lead to a lot of, you know, um, you know, strikeouts and, you know, just, uh, yeah. So that would be, I my, have a former player uh, right now played for me at Western, one of the most toolsy kid and easy power and, but could run and tried to get him to, to drag and push for, for three years. And his numbers were good, but he grad transferred to a division two and he's now drag bunting. He's hitting over 400 right now, because yeah, by the way, yeah. that, that drag bunt or that push bunt keeps you away from an O for four O for five day. It, it allows you to have a one for four, or if you're on an O for 10 slide and you get a drag bunt down and you're on base, there's some confidence to that too. Yeah. It, hitters need that reminder of touching first base every once in a while. If you haven't done that in a while, there's nothing better as a hitter to touch first base again because you haven't done it for a while. Cause then it's like, okay, I have a reminder and okay. Yeah. It, it's fun to get on base and just that one little one here and there. And, and it keeps well, you in the lineup and it just, there's a lot of value. The, to other, it. the other piece too is like, you know, and I'm not saying you bunt every, every, no. every time there's an opportunity, <laughs> to, right. No, you know, like that, that's not where I'm going with it at all. But if you're in a situation you know, where it's a, it's a, it's a two, one game and you're down one and, and you got a guy in second base and, you know, the guy, maybe, you know, the guy at the plate, even if it's your three hitter, maybe he's been struggling a little bit, you know, so we gotta, we gotta be able to put a bunt down because there's a lot more ways to score from third base with one out than there is from second base with one out, you know? And so it, it's just, there's a lot of pieces to it. And I understand both sides of the argument. We won um, some games and, with our four-hole hitter, so suicide squeezes with our four-hole hitter because yeah. the other team wasn't expecting it. We were facing a really good arm. This is how I would explain it to guys sometimes. I'm like, guys, we're going to get into a Friday night game where both arms are getting after it, and we might be in the eighth or ninth inning where where our four-hole guy is up, and we have to do this, so you have to be able to do it because we're going to need it at some point. And if not, yeah. we're going to lose a game has, because yeah. you can't handle the bat. 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a day where, you know, you're just not seeing the ball well out of the pitcher's hand, or maybe he's got a funky motion. You're not picking up well and you, you can contribute in, 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 you know, in that way. Or so. in your part of the world, you're going to play in 25, 28, 30 degree weather where yeah. it's going to sting <laughs> yeah. a little bit and yeah. you could hit a ball as hard as you possibly can in the air. And yeah. it's going to be halfway into the outfield. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, and you know, this isn't uh, a secret anymore, but I, I actually took a new job. Uh, so this is in my last season up in the Midwest. I'll be down in, in, in baseball paradise, uh, down in, in, in Florida, you know, so, uh, I'm, it's bittersweet cause I, I love my team. I love my program and I love the kids and, and the school, but, um, it, I am kind of looking forward to be able to get down to a little baseball. Paradise. Well, 10 years, uh, you know, it was Pat Riley that said it. He's like the, the lifespan usually at a place is, is 10 years. Um, yeah. and I think about my career. I mean, I did, it was, I never made it more than, than nine, nine was at Iowa was my longest time, but, yeah. um, a, a reset, that's a reset too. like new challenges, Mm-hmm. Our reset. I have a lot of respect for guys that have have made it for a long time. I had Co- uh, Keith Gutton and and Paul Evans on the podcast that have been at Missouri State forever. You know, right. thirty three years together. You'll never Incredible. see it. I have a lot of respect for those guys because I just think you need a you need a, a change every once in a while to kind of recharge yeah. the batteries. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, the peak performance consulting business does that add more on your plate, or do you think it helps kind of streamline with what you're trying to do? Uh, I mean, I would, it, it does both, you know, it, it adds a little bit more. Um, but, um, it, it also keeps me fresh, right. It keeps me, um, you know, hungry for more information and how I can help the athletes that I'm working with. Um, so it, it, it does both, but I, I've enjoyed it and, uh, you know, have been privileged to work with, you know, a handful of, of really good kids so far. What are some more of the differences between coaching now and 10 years ago? I would say the, the relational piece, right. I, I feel like I'm, I'm connecting better with my players, which I think is, is creating a better, uh, a better culture in return. Um, you know, we talked about the, the, the results, you know, versus the, uh, uh, process type type coaching and, and the relational type coaching and, uh, the leadership development, you know, those are probably my big three, three big ones that I've kind of grown with over the years is, is just developing leaders because the leadership development isn't just for my program, right? It, you're setting your kids up to be better leaders in the executive room as an employee, as an employer, as a husband, as a wife, um, you know, what, whatever direction their life goes, like the leadership, I mean, as a father, you know, I, I, I find the leadership skills that I'm teaching to my players coming out in, in myself, um, and I find me making mistakes as a leader and having to, you know, redirect my course, you know, both on the field and at home, at, you know, so it's, it really is, uh, it transitions well into all areas of life, the leadership aspect. What are some things that you've kept? So, so what are some of the similarities, maybe some of the things that you started 10 years ago that maybe you're still holding on to or still using? Um, well, I use my practice plans. So I, I like to refer to my, like, I know some coaches just write new ones up and they throw them away. I print mine out and I pay for, I still have them. I, my external hard drive, anybody that wants it, reach out to me. I'll send you million years worth of practice plans. So I think, I think that's one of the things that I've been doing is, is holding on to those practice plans because I can see my development as a coach. 
Um, but I can also see where maybe I started moving away from something and then I'll look back and be like, man, why did I move away from that? Like, that was good. You know, so then I'll start to try to, you know, bring it back, but you can only fit so much into a cup, right? You, you know, an overflowing cup just doesn't help anybody. So, you know, whenever you make, whenever you pour more stuff into your program, you're going to have to take something out to fit in that cup, you know? So then it's just a matter of, you know, systematically and, and evaluating your program on, you know, what to put in what to take out and when. Um, but you know, the, the, the programs, uh, or the practice plans are something that I, I refer to, you know, quite often just to kind of refresh myself on what we've been doing, how, you know, the order that we've done it in, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I asked you about advice. I think all advice is, is good and bad. Some of it is, I don't think anybody's ever trying to give you bad advice. It's yeah. just from their perspective and where they're at on the journey might not be where you're at on your journey. So I think you always take kind of that advice with a grain of salt because your situation is going to be different than my situation. And so this worked for me. And so, yeah, it's kind of adding that to your yeah. cup too, that it, it's great to take advice, but you also have to to figure out if it's actually going to work for, for what they're trying to tell you to do as well. Yeah. And it's at different stages in life too, right? And, and coaching career, like when I was a young coach, I go to the ABCA clinic and I would just pages and pages and, and I would try, but you can't soak up everything from those clinics. There's too much, you know? So now I, I, I try to really, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, I go to, you know, as many sessions as I can, but I really try to find the ones that I need that where my maybe deficiencies are or areas that I want to improve. I really try to target those uh, those speakers just and us of, videoing everything now yeah. so much better for everybody because I remember when you wouldn't get the videos and you're like okay I've I have to write all this down because I may not right. I may not get to look at it and so now because everything is recorded I think it's much better for our coaches because you don't feel like you have to get it to everything because you can circle back and, and you know by word of mouth you're going to hear a good session. Maybe you didn't show up and you talked to one of your coaching buddies and they're like, Hey, this was really good that, okay, I'm going to circle back on that one. Um, right. You know, that, that's a great thing with our community is everybody's going to share. Hey, what have well, you enjoyed? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. That, that was the other thing I was going to say when I was younger as a coach, I was really uh, more guarded with what I was teaching my players because I didn't want the other coaches to get my secrets and I wanted to beat them. You know, but, um, you know, it, it's I've developed, you know, more to a spot of like, you know, sharing and really about the athlete, like we're going to compete. And if it helps, if it helps your athlete, um, then I want to be a part of that, that process of, of helping your athlete. But the uh, um, that yeah, was the, the that community was as a whole yeah, um, is willing to help and, and share. Hey, what have you enjoyed about speaking on the clinic circuit? Because you do a great job, um, and it is that's a skill also. Um, talk about that process a little bit, because you're really good in the clinic setting, and you are going to speak on the youth stage next year in Chicago, so I thank you yeah. for that. No, but, you know, you, you do such a great job, but what do you really enjoy about that piece? You know, so, um, well, I think my you know, being a teacher in the classroom, you know, I've, I've been on a quote unquote stage, you know, for, you know, almost 15 years now. Um, but I love the thought, like I have a passion for, um, improving the lives of people around me. And when I get on stage, um, I get to impact coaches who get to impact players. 
right? And that's just, it's, it's exhilarating to me. Like, I love it. Like, I get that dopamine release. I get that adrenaline rush. Like, and, you know, I see, you know, and looking out in the crowd, every time I see like a coach nod to something like that just fires me up again, you know, cause it's like, I'm getting through to somebody and this is going to help somebody else. And, you know, this is going to help the, you know, this guy's player, who's going to help this player become a better player, a better son, a better husband, you know, like the, the, the reach of, of, of the impact is, is what I, I absolutely love about it. And, and it, and it fires me up and I love doing it. Yeah. What are some other resources that we haven't hit on that you want people to, to dive into that you feel like will help them? Um, so there's, I mean, there's tons of great books out there and, and like my mind's racing right now, trying to, you know, recall the books that I've, I've read recently. The one that I'm in right now is by Lanny Basham, uh, B-A-S-S-H-A-M. Uh, it's called with winning in mind. Uh, and he was a former Olympic, uh, I think he was a rifle shooter. Um, and I think a gold medalist. And so he, he, that book's been, been, this is my second time going through it. Uh, first time I went through it, it was great. Now I'm just trying to soak up, you know, more. It's like going to a clinic, right? You you hear, you hear, you know, someone speak one time, and you can hear this same talk, same speech, and pick up something different the next time you go. Um, and so that that's been a really good one. Uh, you know, most of us have heard of Jocko uh, and his books on leadership. He does a good job with that. Extreme um, ownership extreme ownership. Yeah. It says it right. I mean, when you finally do take responsibility for everything that's going on around you, it opens up the entire world for you. It does. Yeah. Um, what made Maddie run was a really powerful book for me to read. Uh, it has a video too, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen the video. Um, well, they they did a, a, I think an ESPN. They did a, I think like E60. Yeah, I think they did a little thing on that, but that was a really powerful book for me to watch. Uh, I'm sorry, read um, as a father, as a coach, um, you know, uh, and dealing with the, the mental, um, you know, part of things, you know, depression and anxiety and, you know, just trying to trying to get, you know, where, you know, as best we can to where our athletes are. But that was that was a really impactful book for me. Um, and there's there's so many more. I, I wish um I had a list of them for you. I'd read them off to you, but, uh, um, it's all right. People can circle yeah. back to you on that. Hey, you have <laughs> yeah. five kids. So, I mean, what, what routines do you have? I mean, I'm impressed. I, I have yeah, two so, and they're older now, but anybody that has more than two, I, I so mean, my me, wife me, is a saint. Um, I was just going to say, let me stop you there. Let me, let me give credit to the real, winner, <laughs> you know, um, in our family, that's my wife. Uh, you know, she does, she does a great job with our kids. Uh, yeah, we have five kids, uh, six and under. We have two sets of twins. Um, you know, I always like telling people when our second set of twins were born, we had we had three kids or five kids, three and under. Um, you know, so it, it's it's a it's it's a grind, man. Uh, but you know, my wife and I, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but we work well together most of the time. And you know, you know, pick her up when she needs to be picked up. If she needs a break, you know, I try to get home and let her go decompress and. Um, how does she communicate know, so that to you when she needs a break? Um, I mean, cause I, every, every relationship is different. And I think this is the beautiful part about people that make the coaching side work as a, as a couple, it's so hard to make it work. You know, how how yeah. do you know when she's ready for a break? She's, she's pretty upfront with her communication, you know, so she will, she will just come out and tell me, or she'll shoot me some text messages. Mine as I, well. It, it was, you know, so I didn't have choices it, on things. I don't it have was, to read into much. You're going to do I this. I pretty much know. 
You Although know, so. one of the best things she ever did, uh, my daughter, when she was younger, we were in Iowa City at the time, and, and Mondays uh, were always our off day. There was a, f- a parent-child dance class at the University of Iowa, so every Monday in the fall, my daughter and I would go to a, this awesome. parent-child dance class, and it was one of the best things that I ever did. And she signed us up, and she's like, no, you're going to go do this. Uh, and you don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know that that brings up another point to coaches out there. Uh, make sure that you're taking care of your kids and your I, the job can get it's overwhelming. So hard. It, it, it's hard to find that balance, but we got to make sure as coaches that we step back and we make sure that 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 we're given you know enough time to our families because it can be it can be very time consuming and we can oftentimes lose. Uh, sight of that part of our lives because we get we, we have so much passion and we love our players we love our program we get caught up so much but you know just really quite often try to try to take a step back evaluate um, and make the changes uh, you know as as needed because your your family is, is is so important there's so many families you know I don't know what the numbers are but I know that the, the numbers are pretty decently high with coaches and divorces and yeah you know, things like that. And, and that's, you know, another piece too, that I, I, I think I try to mention at the end of all of my talks, especially to coaches is like, make sure that you're, that you're loving your wife and loving your kids. That's, that's your number one job. Um, and it's, it's super I important. thought that was the cool thing, the Saban and Belichick, uh, documentary that was on HBO. If you haven't seen it, um, those two are as driven as we have in, in coaching, their relationship with their kids solid for probably wouldn't have expected that out of those two guys that, um, you know, and, and it was neat to get their kids perspective because they knew how hard their dads worked and they weren't around a lot, but still were, were able to have a good relationship. I thought that's a, for any coaches that haven't seen that go watch it because I think it's a good sign that you can be driven and you don't have to carve out a ton, but carve out enough because I think when they're older, they're going to appreciate what you did for a living from a, a coaching standpoint. They might not appreciate it in the beginning when they're going through it as a, as a kid, which I probably didn't. Um, was just lucky that I ended up playing for my dad and coaching with him and saw a different side of him because my relationship with him was just okay growing up. It was way better with my mom. But I think there's some hope for coaches out there that when they do get older – I, they're going to appreciate what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as parents too, um, you know, supporting your, your kids, like I, it was, uh, my parents have been, you know, awesome as far as just supporting different career decisions and life decisions. And, you know, it's really been a blessing to have that support. You know, when I was growing up, I was kind of getting burnt out of travel ball and I didn't want to play travel anymore. I just wanted to go back and have fun and play some part district baseball. And my parents were, you know, they didn't try to force me into travel baseball again or anything like that. They just said, Hey, you know, that let's do this. And you know, that it was, it's been, it's been really influential on me as a coach and as a parent, just to, you know, you want to encourage your kids to do things, but you know, at the end of the day, you want to try to support them as much as possible. And, you know, so thanks mom and dad. Yeah. We wanted balance. Um, we wanted them to be in so many different things because my parents were the same way. I was in so many different things and, um, you know, hopefully you just find just, they find a passion of, of something. Right. So, yeah. What are some sure. final thoughts? Oh man. Final thoughts. Um, nothing stays the same. Right. You know, and, and, uh, I think it's an important thing to keep in mind, uh, world changes, family changes, circumstances change, 
Um, and, and we should also be changing, right? Like I said earlier, like I don't plan on being the same coach and same leader today uh, in, in a year from now. Like I hope that I've changed for the better. And so uh, always thirsting for that wisdom and that knowledge to, to continue to grow yourself um, and, uh, you know, being the best that you can uh, every day, you know, and that's all you can ask for. If you can, if you can do that, you know, you're setting yourself up to be, uh, have a pretty good day. You know, if you can go in there with that mindset. Well, thanks for your time, Joel. I appreciate it. Have a great spring. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we'll look forward to running into you again. All right, perfect. Thanks to Coach Pellin for jumping on with me. I wish he and his family the best with their move after the season. I love his six pillars of skill acquisition, game management, strength and conditioning, mental skills, leadership, and lifestyle. I also love that he's defined leadership for his team. Leadership and culture are buzzwords that get tossed around, but just like anything else, until you define them and dive into what they actually mean, then they are just that, words. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh